Meme of the week is uh, a woman standing outside, looking outside, and the caption of the meme is, is this woman squinting, looking forward? Uh, she's saying, Lord, what chapter of the book of Revelation are we doing today? <laughs> uh, this was funny because of all the things that are happening that we're, we're uh, sitting around wondering, what is going on in my country? What's going on in my community? Uh, we had the coronavirus, then we had the people being killed, not only the people of color who were unjustly killed, but now also the people, the, the police officers who were killed in the riots, uh, and the looting, and the killer wasps, and you're, you're kind of standing there saying, okay, what's the next plague uh, that, that we're going to be getting? And it's a time of great confusion where we're asking, what's going on? What is God doing here? I like that meme, especially because it, it actually kind of brings us back to the idea, causes back the idea of that God is sovereign and these are temporal judgments that he, uh, he does allow in our lives as Jesus taught us. I taught at the very beginning, uh, we were talking about how Jesus teaches us to think about these things. Uh, but we're going to today open the book of Judges for a very similar time. Uh, in their history, the history of the Israelites in the land of Canaan. Uh, it's a time of ambiguity. It's a time when people are asking, what's going on? What is, if this is God's judgment, what is it saying? What's it saying to me? And their problem at their, at their time was syncretism, as we'll see when we begin and we uh, start reading. This is in Judges chapter 6. From the very beginning, we see what their where problem was. It was syncretism. Now, if that's a strange word for you, syncretism means taking elements of worshiping other things and other religions and bringing it into your own religion. Uh, and what they were dealing with besides worshiping Yahweh, the true God, was, was worshiping Baal was a temptation to them and Asherah, the poles of Asherah. Uh, these two didn't really have a whole lot to do with each other as, as far as I can see in connecting, except that they were both connected with fertility, trying people wanting to be fruitful in their lives. Baal was this storm god who would mount the clouds and to worship him you would go to the, to the Baal temples and you would have ritual sex with a priest or priestess. It was this imitative magic because as you were um, having relations, you would be encouraging the god Baal to have relations with his, with his consort and his emissions would be the rains which would then fertilize the ground. So it was kind of a debased religion that uh, it, it held some attraction for the people of Israel all through their time while they were in the land from the time when they were brought into it from the exodus to the time when they were exiled from it. Baal was always a temptation for them. Along with them was, was Asherah. You know, it's mentioned often side by side, but they weren't really together. Asherah were these poles. Uh, they were trees that were shaped into uh, either kind of this naked goddess, this form of this naked goddess, or a phallus symbol. It's basically carved porn that they were dealing with. And... Uh, at the same time, we'll see in verse 6 when, we're, when we begin to read in Judges 6. At the same time, they were calling out to Yahweh for deliverance from what was going on and all their troubles. Um, so we might read this and we say, what? What? What are they doing? You know, like I know what they should have been doing. I could see what, the, what was wrong. They need to get rid of the Asherah. They need to get rid of the Baals. 
I know it, but you know, when you're living in the time, mm, not, as, not as clear. It's not all, always as clear that you know what's going on and, and what should be happening. Uh, might be a time of ambiguity. So I would say that we have the same similar situation that we're dealing with the American church, that there's, there are ways in which we're syncretistic, ways in which we bring in other things to worship along with the true God, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And uh, we're doing it to relieve ourselves, to, to try, and get, try and get fruitfulness when God is calling us back to himself. So let's learn what we can from reading the book of Judges here. Judges chapter 6 again. I'm going to read three passages from the book just, to, just from that chapter to give us a, a sense of the story. Not the whole chapter, but you can follow along. I'm going to be reading from the RSV version. So again, Judges chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into, hand, into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian. The people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now going down to verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. Which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. While his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land of Midian. Do, I, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Going down to, um, oh well then, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. And then in verse 24, that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, the second bull, seven years old. Pull down the altar of Baal that your father has 
and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah that you should cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubael. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay. Well, if you were living at that time and you had been paying attention to what God had been doing and to what God had been saying, you would know there would be a certain clarity about what was going on at this time during the period of the judges. Because God had brought all of these elements together to build his kingdom on earth. And what he was trying to do is build his kingdom on the earth. And he needed four things. Bruce Gwaltke does a great job in uh, going through and, and, and showing the things that God needs for a kingdom. He says, when you build any kingdom, what you need are four L's. You need a law, you need a laity, you need a land, and the fourth is, what's the fourth L that you need for a kingdom? You can cry it out there at home. A leader, I heard it, somebody said it. Good job, a leader. Yeah. And God had comprised three of those things. God had brought together three of those things at this point. He had gotten a people, a laity, right? Brought them out of Egypt. He'd given them a law at Sinai. He had brought them to a land to live in. And there was one thing he needed still for his kingdom, and that was a king. So he was looking for people that he could raise up to be the king. So the Israelites needed a leader. Do they need a hero? Well, kind of yes and no. You know, the book of Judges is really a story of how charismatic leadership doesn't cut it for the kingdom of God. That there are people who are very gifted and they had a lot of great things to, to offer. And they were put in charge. They were raised up as leaders, as judges. But they couldn't really bring the people of God into the lasting peace that he had for them. And so that's what we read about in the, in the, kings, in the, in the book of Judges. How we're heading toward... What we need, really need, we're not there yet. And God can work with these people. He can always work with people and, and their gifts. But what he really needs is somebody who's faithful. What he really needs is somebody who's going to keep covenant. The covenant that they were in. In order to lead his people into lasting peace. And any one of these judges uh, could have been king. You know, in crazy times, what we need are people of valor. What God wants and he's, what he's looking for, we can tell, is someone of valor. 
And any of these judges really could have been uh, a king if they had taken the step forwards that God was leading them on. Especially, especially Gideon. We say, I say especially Gideon because he gets a long story, one of the longest stories in the book. And it, you can tell by the structure of the book, he's right in the center of things where, where the Gideon narrative is. Uh, he was somebody who really, there was an opportunity in this man to really step forward, bring the kingdom forward. And that's why verse 12, he, when, when the angel of the Lord shows up, he says, you're a man of valor. So what I want to do with us this morning, friends, because uh, we need the same thing, is to look at the points of valor that we can see in Gideon. From the very beginning, the reason why God identified him as someone who could lead his people, someone who could bring clarity in the midst of ambiguous times. I want to look at those points with you. Three points of, of valor that we can see in Gideon. Because God still needs people who are valorous to get us through these times. He, he still needs you to operate as, as a valorous person. So what's going to mark you during these times, especially, you know, coming to the end of quarantine, wondering how to open up? What's going to mark you during these times? And they're, they're, not, they're not complicated. The three very simple marks of valor we can see in this passage. They're simple, but they're very powerful for you to be God's people in the midst of a confusing time. Okay, so three marks of valor. Number one, what do we see? It's in verse 13. He's realistic. A man of valor, a person of valor is realistic. So the angel shows up, this angel of the Lord, and he says, you're a man of valor. God is with you. And Gideon responds, excuse me? Gideon, Gideon says to this, he says, excuse me, Mr. Angel of the Lord. You know, I'm, not, I'm actually not going to talk about who the angel of the Lord is this morning. It's very intriguing because he's the angel of the Lord. And then all of a sudden you're talking to the angel of the Lord. You're talking to the Lord. I'm not going to talk about that another time. But, but Gideon is being very realistic with this angel. He says, and you can kind of tell he's a little, maybe the annoyance in his voice. Excuse me, God is with us. Uh, let, me, let me just respectfully say, Mr. Angel of the Lord, things are not so good. <laughs> like if, as if, if this is what it's like to have God with us, <laughs> I'd hate to see what it would be like if he wasn't with us. Um, and why isn't it like the way it was in grandpa's time? You know, like I was saying last week. Now, these guys are looking back and they're saying, you know, grandpa's always saying, oh, God did these wondrous things. He brought us through the Red Sea and he did these marvels. He's like, well, where am I seeing that here? If God is with us. And in a way, he's, he's right. You know, times were tough. They were very tough at that time. You had these Midianites who were very mercenary. And they came up and they were, because of the, their, the, the structure of their society, they were very mobile. So you had these mobile uh, motorcades of, of Midianites, uh, mercenary Midianites coming up. And... Um, and they were on the move. <laughs> so when you have mobile motorcades of Midianite mercenaries on the move, <laughs> you, um, they're mostly, how's that? Mostly, you know, you can't defend against them. 
They're mostly impossible to defend against. And so they were the, these yearly kind of scourges where they would come up and they kept taking whatever, whatever the Israelites had. And so it's this development that they had, you know, that it's like putting more and more locks on your door. So for them, it was actually putting their belongings in the woods. They had these caves that they would put all their stuff in. And it was because if they didn't, you know, they would just be taken by the Midianites. So if you can imagine what it was like to live like that, it might have been even a, college, a cottage ministry that, that sprung up saying, you know, you know, discount caves to hide your stuff in. And it's like, they stopped asking, why are we hiding our stuff in caves? It's because that was the new normal for them. That's how bad it was. And Gideon is, you know, threshing out the the wheat in this wine press is kind of sort of depression and rocky. Normally you would thresh out the grain, but you would take it up to a place where there was wind and there would be a threshing floor. You would throw it up so that it would, the wind would blow away the chaff and the grain would fall down. That's how you would separate them. So if he's doing it in this depressed kind of wine press, it's like he's, he's being very shrewd here because of how bad things were. And so in verse 13, he's being very straightforward. Gideon is saying things are bad. And, and he's, what we see in this, friends, is that he is willing to ask the hard questions. He's willing to ask hard questions, real questions. God likes that. God likes that. God likes that when people are willing to bring their whole heart. Because it shows that Gideon is bringing his whole heart to God and saying, look, this is where I'm at. And this is what I see. And I really need to ask you the question, where is God in all this? So, this is something that God really values. It's a mark of valor. You know, I, I, I can tell you, I'm reading the Bible right now with my sister. And she started, she decided she really wanted to read the Bible. And I'm helping her, you know, reading along with her. Uh, and it's just recently she decided this. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, going along, sorry, going along beside her trying to, trying to pay attention, trying to be helpful. But I'll tell you something, I have no worries about how she's doing spiritually. I have no worries about how she's doing because she asks really hard questions, you know, because she asks me things and some, sometimes I'd say, you know, I never thought about it that before. And, and I've been reading the Bible a long time. That's part of the problem. You know, I'm reading it in a certain way. She's reading it through, through her eyes, very fresh. And she's saying at certain points, you know, I'm offended by these things that I'm reading. And I, I'm not sure, I, you know, I, I don't like the way that it, this is being put. And, and, and I have no worries about how, what's going on with her spiritually. Because what's she doing? She's bringing, she's being real with God. She's willing to ask questions that are difficult or she sees as difficult. And she's, in other words, Catharos tecardia, as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who, whose heart comes out before God. For they shall see God. So this is the first mark of valor. And this is what we see with Gideon right here. This is what he's doing. And you know, by the way, this is what we try to cultivate here at Ironworks Church. We're, we're, we very much do not want to cultivate a people who are just very pious. I think piety is good. But a kind of feeling like, well, I need to just say the right thing. And I need to just come and make sure I'm, I'm in line with the right way here. And, and just be speaking things that I think people want to hear here. That is not what we want. We want people who are really asking questions, who are really bringing out the reality of where they are for the Lord. You know, and that's why we're doing, after today, for, after the service, we're doing a Q&A. And we're going to spend some time afterwards 
for you who ask questions. You can come to that, and here it is on the screen. Um, you can ask whatever question you want. If there's a question that came up from the today, the service today or the sermon, or even from last week, that was kind of a big issue. And you want to talk about that some more, or you want to hear about that some more, we're going to be there uh, in this Zoom meeting for a few minutes uh, after the service for all who would like to join us. And that's the kind of thing that we like to do here. People are um, willing to ask these questions. And I would just say for you as an individual, you're facing difficult times in the, uh, in the containment, in the quarantine, and you're maybe deciding how to come out of the quarantine, you're asking questions, uh, you know, we're here to help you. We're not going to tell you what to do because we understand that as people assess risks for themselves, there's going to be different answers for different people. We understand that. But we are here to help you, uh, coach you in asking uh, um, what's real about the questions and being realistic about it. All right, so that's number one, just be real with the Lord. But the answer of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, is for Gideon to act. And that brings us to the number two mark of valor. A person of valor will obey in spite of what he's feeling. A person of valor will obey the Lord in spite of what he's feeling. Now Gideon here faced what was very difficult. And he did it anyway. That's faith. That's faith. Because you don't always feel good when you're doing God's will. And Gideon had a particularly difficult task in front of him. You might have picked that up in verse 25. His, his big test was that he had to tear down his own father's shrine. This is his father's shrine we're talking about. He had to tear it down. So he had to go in a different direction from dad. Very challenging. So I know some of you young adults, you're coming to a place where you're, you're beginning your adult life um, and you are struggling with your parents. Maybe you're in a position of, some of you I know, are, you're trying to run away from your parents Actually, you can move away from your parents. You can't really run away from your parents. You know why? I'll just tell you. They're in your head. <laughs> they're there in your head. And the best way for you to move forward is to come to a place of being able to honor your parents, though not necessarily obey your parents. Come to a place of maybe forgiveness and honoring of your parents without necessarily obeying. If you're in their household, you need to obey your parents. But when you're coming in and you're now an adult outside of their household, you need to, the command to you is honor your parents, even if sometimes you need to not obey them. And that is what's going on here, actually, in this passage. Or Gideon is coming to a place where he has to disobey his parents, what his, what his parents are doing. And it's tough. Um, but he needs to find this place of honoring without obeying that I am recommending to you. Because when you do that, actually, folks, with your parents, you come to a place of, uh, where they can actually be very helpful to you, your parents. And so, verse 27, he does it. He, he kind of goes through this test, but he does, he does it at night, you know, because he's afraid. So, he's not being very heroic, this, this wonderful leader for, for God, this valorous man, not very heroic, but he did it. You know, and I kind of see myself in Gideon here. I kind of look at him and I see myself because when I, read, when I read the Bible, what God asks of me, what he's really asking me to do, I hardly do. I hardly do what he asked me to. 
And he and I both know that's true. Hardly do it. But you know, even though I do it poorly, I do it imperfectly. I, I don't, you know, I'm not cowardly. I'm cowardly sometimes I'm doing I'm not heroically. You know, I, I try to follow through. And that's what Gideon is doing here. That's enough. That's what he wants from you. To just, you know, get the main thing done. Even if you don't do it right, you don't do it the best way possible. Just follow through. You know, as the, as the tennis coach says, just follow through. Follow through on that swing. That's what he wants you to do. And that's what Gideon does here. And he needs a lot of encouragement. You notice that? And you actually read all of chapter 6. We only read uh, so these three passages from If you read the whole chapter 6, you'll see that he is constantly going back to God for a test. He's like, you know, stay here so I can make you something. And then he, he brits out this fleece. And then he, he says, no, let's do something else with the fleece. So he's constantly trying to get more encouragement. He, he, Gideon needs far more encouragement than he should, actually. He, he is seeking for more help than he should really have and he really needs. You know what I'm saying? But the wonderful thing about it is that God says, okay. You know, I see myself again with Gideon in this point in that when, um, when I'm trying to do the things that I should do, I need a lot more encouragement than I really should. When I look at it, I'm, I'm needing more help then is, is warranted, especially from someone that has seen what I've seen. I tend to still be finding myself in need of encouragement in these times. But the wonderful thing about God is that he says, okay, and he gives us encouragement. You see what he does here? Um, if you just ask for it, the one thing that God never seems to say to people who are asking for help is that you need too much help. He never seems to say that. You need too much help. Instead, he, he is there with encouragement um, so that Gideon can follow through. It's like Jesus um, told these parables. What, he, he told this parable once in Matthew 21 of these two brothers. He said these two brothers come to their father. And their father says to them, I want you to go work out in the field. And the first brother says, okay, I'm with you, dad. I'm there. Here I go. I'm going to be with you. I'm always with you, dad. You know, you can count on me. Then he doesn't go. The second brother says, oh, man, you're always asking stuff of me. I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. This, uh, this is too much. Then afterwards, he goes and he works in the field. So Jesus' point is, you know, neither of these brothers are doing that great. <laughs> but he says, which one is really entering the kingdom? Of course, it's the second one. And that's enough. That's what God wants. It's just that follow through. Just follow through. Uh, this, this actually reminds me of my sweetheart. My wife one time, we were in a meeting where for a two-week period, we were, we were seeking to, to go out and to actually engage with our acquaintances in a certain way. And it was uh, something we were doing in our church. And um, my wife, you know, just confronted with this, she did not want to do it. She didn't feel like doing it. She wasn't confident doing it. And she did it. Anyway, she was talking about it in this group. And she said, you know, how, about how blessed she was in going through and following through with it. But that's, she just did it, you know. Maybe she didn't do it perfectly. It's, it's what God is um, looking for in leaders. Because, you know, a leader in the kingdom of heaven, a leader in the kingdom of heaven is not someone who knows more but someone who obeys more.
That's the leadership that God's looking for. And that's, you know, we look at someone and say, oh, somebody who knows more, we should put him in charge. No, God is saying what he wants in leaders are those who can simply be faithful, who can obey, even when they don't feel like it. Gideon had this faith of mustard seed, because that's faith. Faith without works is dead. So Gideon had that mustard seed of faith, and it was enough. It was enough. So number one, be real with God. Number two, be able to obey God when you don't feel like it, in spite of your feelings. And number three, third mark of valor for us today. The one of valor will address the spiritual in the condition. The person of valor will be able to focus on and go for what's spiritually going on in a situation. We'll discern the spiritual reasons of the problem. Because you see, God wanted to deliver the Israelites. He really did. But they had to be ready to be delivered, if I could put it that way. It, it required a, a change in people for them to be delivered. And Gideon came to really understand this. You see in verse 15, when he starts out, he's really depressed about numbers. He says, well, we really don't have the numbers for this, for this kingdom building project that you want to do, God. We don't really have uh, enough people for it. And God begins to teach them, right? In verse 15, you see him say, <clears throat> essentially, I don't need big numbers, Gideon, to build my kingdom, actually to do what I need to do. You're using the wrong metrics. And I'm using a different model here of kingdom building. I want you to, what Hebrews 11 actually says of Gideon, bring strength out of weakness. And so this becomes a long, long running joke between Gideon and God about numbers and how many people he really needs for a job. It just keeps on going throughout the story. And he starts it here because he's trying to build a real leader here in Gideon. He, you know, you can always get people to gather around, watch your movie, hear your preaching, hear your sermon. Um, you can always kind of be entertaining. You can get entertainment out there that gets people uh, to gather around. But that's not what leadership in the kingdom of heaven is. That's kind of like the American mode of leadership. We call it being a celebrity. But leadership in the kingdom of heaven is is getting somebody who can actually help us change. Somebody who can help us identify our own syncretism. That's what God is looking for in a leader. And that's what he found here in Gideon. And what's marvelous about this story, I, I don't know if you pick this up, is that Gideon is successful. Right? In verse 31, what we see happening at the end is that he is so successful that in the end, his father is changing. You see that? His father actually begins to change. Gideon's own father. And so he was going in one direction, of, you know, with this Baal shrine. And by the end, he's like, mm, you know, my son is doing the right thing here. He's impressed that his son is able to stand up to people, you know, stand against people about Baal. Is I think what's going on in verse 31, verse 32 there. And so, you know, Gideon has this thing that is so dreamy. He has this Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader moment, right? Where Joash, his father, is, is taking up Emperor Baal, Baal right? And, and throwing him down the starship well, or whatever that thing was, you know? 
He's actually winning his father back. That shows you how powerful it is when, when people are valorous. How much God works in that situation when we do these things. You know, when we're facing the coronavirus and opening up again, you really want to be looking at the spiritual situation in your country, in your, in your church, in your home. You know, if it is God bringing something that allowed something in our lives so that we can confront our idols, and I know many of you have sort of kind of dealt with that, how is that gone? The question about whether to open up and how to open up is really involving that question. How have we done? You know, and I know some of you have uh, encountered things about this isolation that have really challenged you. And you know that God has been putting his finger on something in your, in your lives. How is that going? Because that's the real question behind opening up. Can we do that? You know, somebody who is a real great example to me of this is Danny Werfel. Now, you, you might remember that name if you're familiar with 1990s football. Danny Werfel was a great football player, 1990s, played in college for Florida. Then he came, when he got out, he joined in the NFL, the New Orleans Saints. And he was just a great football player. But what was different about Danny Werfel is that he had his eyes on the spiritual, even as he was entering the very competitive world of the NFL. Very competitive world. You know, his first year uh, with the Saints, he started this club. And he called it the Our Daily Bread Club. He said, you know, let's, whoever wants to do it, voluntarily join this club. We'll do a devotion every day, even while we're in training. And then you go through the day. And if somebody asks you about the devotion, you have to remember what it was. <laughs> and if you don't remember what it was, you have to put a dollar in the pot. So, so he's, he's tapping into the competition here in the NFL, right? And he thinks, you know, I'll start this with the Saints. Maybe I'll get about five or six guys to do this uh, with us. He got 56, 56 coaches as well as players. Coaches got in on this too, on the team, to join this, our Daily Bread Club. And uh, he, he had, you know, he, he's, this guy's a winner of the Heisman Trophy. But what he was really doing here is bringing Bible study into the locker room. He had his eye on the spiritual in the situation of what was going on there, what was needed. You know, in 2006, I think it was, he became the executive director of Desire Street Ministries that allows, um, that partners with and supports people who are really dealing with the disadvantaged in the, in the neighborhoods, who are really dealing with those people who are really on the front lines of dealing with extreme poverty and people in extreme poverty. And by the way, if those of you who have a burden, you've been feeling a burden these last few weeks to address the needs of those who are severely disadvantaged. We're talking about in situations of generational, uh, generational brokenness. Uh, if you are doing that and you're feeling a burden for that, you're talking about people who are in a situation where your daily reality is drugs and prostitution and robbery and the amount of despair that's in that situation. People who, who actually work in that situation, you know, trying to bring change into these people's lives. They last maybe three years, four years tops. 
five years or they're, before they're burnt out. But, but Desire Street Ministries and ministries like them are partnering with these people so they're lasting actually 10 years, 15 years. So if you want to do something that really matters to black lives, I would say support these ministries. Maybe even get involved uh, in these ministries. These are the people who really know actually what it takes to actually bring change in people's lives who are severely disadvantaged. And actually, they're the ones who can tell us what's really systemic and what isn't. But anyway, Danny Werfel, one of these men of valor to address the spiritual of things. So as I'm talking about these things, I hope that you've got a sense of God's graciousness in dealing with Gideon, how ways that he actually was with him and was with them as we begin to recognize that. You might be wondering, how is it that God comes to be with people in that way? And the answer, friends, is in verse 26. You know, God talks about being with them in verse 12, being verse, verse 16. But verse 26, he's, Gideon is told, and he, and he realizes this, that he needs to sacrifice the prized bull. The, the second bull that, uh, you know, is in his father's household is basically the prized bull. And when <clears throat> he was told to sacrifice the prize bull, this is the, the thing that Gideon does that's central. It's that he sacrifices that prized bull. And that is what allowed God to be with him. The answer isn't really what Gideon would do. It's what God would do because of this sacrifice. The sacrifice brings God near. And this was a thing that God was trying to do with him. He wasn't just saying, well, go and do this and go and kill that and, you know, make this kind of work. No, he says, make a sacrifice. That's what you really need to do. What is God after? What is he going for there? Well, God was trying to teach the people to prepare, to understand. They always need the prize bull to be sacrificed. And he was preparing them for the prize bull whose sacrifice would truly bring God to be with them. And we know now that that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came and he showed us really the true valor, the most valor in being real with us, in obeying to death to address our spiritual condition. He became the prize. And yet that prize bull was sacrificed to bring God's grace, to bring God's graciously near to us. So as we now turn, we're going to sing about that now. Let's rejoice that God has made the way of valor for us. And he's made it through our Lord Jesus Christ.